Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Buddy, what a beautiful day in the Rocky Mountains. Um, the weather is going to be fantastic. You know, we're at that time of the year. We're going to start getting more good days than bad days. The weather is fantastic out there. I'm looking out the window in my studio in Fort Collins. We're going to get in the mid to high 60s today. It is time to be outdoors. The boat ramps are opened up and down the front range. We're going to talk about that uh, later on in the hour. Austin Parr is going to join us. We're going to talk a lot of fishing opportunities. And then in the second hour, Nate Zielinski will join us. And uh, we'll talk about the night walleye bite with Nate. It is on fire right now. And he's going to tell us how to take advantage of that and some other tips, too. We're going to talk some getting ready for turkey hunting in the second hour, too. And, of course, our dog trainer, Ben Garcia, will join us in the second hour with some great dog training tips. Parks and Wildlife is going to cover uh, a couple different things now that the boat ramps are open about invasive species and boating safety. And in just a minute, we're going to go to the phones and we're going to talk fly fishing with Kirk Dean from Kirk's Fly Shops in uh, Estes and Grand Lake. Before we get to that, I do want to say thank you to everybody who came by the International Sportsman's Exposition. I know the show was a little smaller and it got canceled once and postponed. The timing was off. But I think, at least from my perspective, we were all ready to get together, see each other face-to-face, do some talking. It was so great to get out and talk to the people that listen to the show, trade ideas with you, say hi. meant the world to me, all of you that stopped by and said hi to us and talked about how much you enjoy the show. And what really meant the world to me is we saw almost 100 kids leave that show on Sunday with new fishing tackle. Um, Eagle Claw Wright McGill, local company right here, donated 50 fishing rods that were given out free to those kids. Jack's Outdoor Gear donated 50 tackle boxes. We had some help from people like Brad Peterson and Austin Parr. And uh, Karen and I worked with ISE to put together 20 more tackle boxes. And altogether, we saw so many kids leave with a big smile on their face, ready to go fishing. And that was phenomenal. But let's get the show started. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, I think he's in uh, Grand Lake today, but he has two shops, one in Estes, one in Grand Lake. We're going to talk uh, about to Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop. Good morning, Kirk. Good morning, Terry. It's uh Are you in Grand Lake right now? I am, yes. It is. Is it beautiful out there like it is here? It is really nice this morning, yeah. I imagine the lakes are still frozen, but the rivers are starting to run, right? They are. We actually got a float on the Colorado today, a trip out. Wow. Well, I want to talk both about the Big Thompson and the Colorado. Let's start off with one thing, though. Runoff. You're up there. Does there seem to be quite a bit of snow? Is runoff starting? I know we've got some pre-runoff fishing we can do now. What Do you have any feelings about the status of the runoff? Well, it hasn't started yet. Um, it looks like we're about average, so we, we should be good as long as we keep getting some snows and rains throughout the spring here. And it's probably, what do you think, we're a few weeks, three, four weeks away from that really affecting the fishing? 
yeah, at least I'd say not till not till mid-May before it really starts getting a little murky. All right. Well, you mentioned the Colorado. Let's start there, and then we'll go to the Big T after that. Um, the Colorado River, of course, is one of the most prolific fly fishing rivers in the state, and it starts out just ab- above where you're at right now, <clears throat> and it really starts out as a uh, a very small creek and then grows very quickly. What's the status of the river? What's the flows like, and how's the fishing? Uh, it's fishing good down lower. So, like, in the park right now, it's not fishing very good. It's still even iced up a lot up in there. Um, but down by partial and down by pump house area, it's uh, really it's fishing great at partial and starting to fish pretty good down by pump house area. Now, is it mostly float fishing, or can you walk weight it? And what kind of presentations are you using? Um, yeah, we walk weight fishing down by partial, and you can float now down at pump house. Um, but you can walk weight that area too. My main flies right now for in there are like Pat's River legs and trailing them with a shot glass betis or any small midge behind a big Pat's. Now, are you seeing mostly rainbows or browns or both? It seems like you get mostly browns um, and then maybe 20% rainbows. When we get down to this time of the year, or maybe they don't, they're not up that high, down lower, the Colorado has a lot of whitefish in it, too. I know during the winter, we used to go float that around uh, uh, down in the lower Colorado, but I, they don't get up that high, do they, or do you get a few up there? You get a few up there, not very many by partial. Um, pump house area has quite a few of them. You know, that's an overlooked sport fish, isn't it? They provide a lot of action. No, they do. They're fun to catch. They fight hard, and they, they seem to keep you keep the rod bent good. Now, you're talking mostly nymph fishing right now, but are you seeing some dries? Do you expect some dries on the Colorado and the weather changes? Yeah, like right now, partial areas actually got some pretty good dry fly action with little midges and blueing olives already starting to come off. Okay. But, so yeah, the lower continue. section, not yet. It should be happening more in April for the blooming olive hatch. I mean, late April. Okay. So it's, it's starting to fish. It's fishing great. Let's switch over to the Big Thompson. Um, the Big Thompson is, you know, that's where I got to know you. I don't know how many times you and I have fished the Big Thompson together, but it's it's dam controlled, and it actually fishes like a, it is a tailwater. So there's some pretty good fishing year-round. Has it opened up all the way down with this good weather now? It has. It's opened up all the way down to Loveland. And the fishing is pretty good? Yeah, about as good as it gets right now down there. And how are you approaching that? What kind of presentations? I'm kind of doing a, a big dry on top, like a, a chubby Chernobyl, more as my indicator, and dropping it with two two nymphs, like a uh, Pat's rubber leg or a micro beaded mayfly or a little pheasant tail, and dropping it with a little tiny midge after that. So you do you like using a dry fly as an indicator? I do at this time of year because the water's lower and the fish are spooky, and they don't seem to spook as much from a fly as they do from an indicator. Okay, that makes really good sense. I guess there's always a chance that that hefty brown is going to come up and hit that big indicator fly too, right? Yeah, you get bites on it every once in a while at this time of year. Now, I know you also like fishing your nymphs without split shot if you can. Are you able to do that? Flows are still pretty pretty skinny, I think, so you probably can get away with that pretty easily. You can, yeah. There's no problem. I don't like having much split shot on there. It seems like it makes more tangles. So if I can get my lead fly, lead nymph, good and heavy enough, and uh, sink the little midge behind it, and it works great. 
Yeah, I know that's your favorite. I fished with you many times, and you taught me that. And it was it was always uh, a, a more stealth way to fish too. I think the less unnatural things you have going through the water, the less you alert the fish, don't you? Yep, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, your two shops and your your what you offer at each one. You've got, of course, the one that's been in Estes forever, and you, now you've got the one over at Grand Lake. Tell us about the Grand Lake shop first. So um, we're open right now just on weekends. So uh, for the month of April, we're open from Friday through Sunday, and then in May we'll open full-time. Um, but over here we do float trips down the Colorado, day wades up in the park or on the uh, down on the Colorado, and then we also do lake fishing trips on Grand Lake. Okay, and are the lake fishing trips on Grand Lake, are they fly or conventional or either one? We do either one, but mostly it's conventional. Go out and trolling for lake trout and rainbows and browns. Okay, and is that a different phone number than the one in Estes? It is. Why don't you give people that phone number? Our Grand Lake shop is 970-627-5021. And is it, are they both on the same website? The Grand Lake shop is com, and then the Estes Park one is com. Okay, let's talk about the one in Estes. You're open year-round there. How far ahead do you have to usually call in to book a, a, a guide trip? This time of year, if you just give us a day's notice, we can get you in. And 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 not and you're fishing. You're not fishing the park yet, right? Not really. I mean, it's starting to open up a little bit, but mainly just doing the Thompson is fishing a lot better than up in the park. Yeah, and when the Thompson's fishing good, it's such a phenomenal river. They really, after the fire, gosh, what's that? Seven years ago? Now I can't even. I lose the flood. I mean, flood. Yeah, it's been a while. And they really went and reconstructed that river, didn't they? They did. It has actually got a higher fish population than it did pre-flood. So it's doing I better, know. I would say. Yeah, kudos to them. And, and pretty much the whole river is accessible. There's a lot of public access also on the Big Thompson. If people want to maybe come up to your shop, get a few flies, and you'll, you'll point them in the right direction. Kind of describe your shop. You have a full shop in, in Estes. Tell people about it. Yeah, we got, uh, I mean, we got clothing, Patagonia clothing upstairs. Um, we got flies and fly rods downstairs and pretty much anything you need for going hiking and fishing and backpacking. Yeah, and that's a good point is you just don't guide fishing trips either. Once the weather gets, you guide other types of trip in, in trips into the park, right? Right. Even right now, we're still doing snowshoeing trips. We do day hike trips. We do llama pack trips, and we... Um, we do overnight backpack trips. Now, now, when summer comes, the park is probably going to go on timed entrance again. Is that right? They are, yes. So people will have to make a reservation if they're coming up by themselves. But if they book a trip with you, are you able to get them in? We are. So you don't need a reservation to go on to get into the park when you're going on a trip with us. And that's both fishing and hiking and backpacking? Correct. All right. Tell people again how they find your fly shop, how they locate you, and where they go if they want to book a trip. Sure. So we're on, in Estes Park, we're on Elkhorn Avenue, Main Street, right across from uh, Town Hall and right next to the Dairy Queen, um, 230 East Elkhorn Avenue. If you want to book a trip, just call us at the shop there, 970-577-0790. 
And here in Grand Lake, we're right on Main Street, right across from the Dairy King. Um, and uh, our phone number over here is 970-627-5021. You must like soft serve ice cream. Both of them. One's by a Dairy Queen and one's by a Dairy King. Yeah, if I'm ever going to open the shop, it's always going to be by a, some kind of ice cream place. <laughs> hey, Kirk, as always, great talking to you. I'm, the weather is changing. We're going to get some bad weather yet, but for the most part, we're going to get more good days than bad. I think the rivers are just going to fish phenomenal right now until runoff starts, and, and still there's going to be ways to fish. So I think it's really for time people get out and get out there, don't you? I do. It's time to go fishing. All right, my friend, you and I need to do that. We haven't been on the water together in quite a while. All right. We got to get out there. All right, Kirk. Thank you so much. Thanks, Terry. Bye. You bet. Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop. What a what a great guy. I'll, I'll tell you what. It, fishing with him and his guides. If you're a beginning novice type fly fisherman, you will you will really um, you will really learn a lot. Kirk is his techniques are just immaculate. And he'll teach you so much, and not in a condescending way. He will teach and share with you. I have picked up so many tri- picked up so many tips from him, and caught so many fish while I've been fishing with Kirk. It's just been phenomenal. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about the invasive species. The inspections are starting, so I want to make sure you're aware of what you need to know when you go to go to the lake for the first time. And times after that, and also about a new pilot program we're going to try here in Colorado with the inspections. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. If you haven't been in a Jack store, stop in one and check it out. They are phenomenal. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, you just do yourself a service. By the way, thanks again to Jack's for donating 50 tackle boxes to give away to kids at the ISE show so we could get them started fishing. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Travis Beam. Good morning, Travis. Good morning, Terry. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. What a beautiful day out. I don't know. Are you down in the Denver area today or are you out in the field? Yeah, I'm back in Denver this uh, weekend, so I get to enjoy this beautiful weather. Yeah, it is just fantastic out. You know, and there's going to be a lot of people getting out to enjoy this beautiful weather. A lot of boat ramps opened over the last week and going into this weekend, and there'll be more up in the mountains opening soon. And with that brings uh, an issue that we ran into in the state or the country ran into years ago that's been building across the country, and that's the spread of invasive species and like mussels and some types of vegetation. And there's some others that we'll talk about later, but the inspections are kind of geared towards mussels and vegetation and vegetation. And as people head to the lakes with their boats, they're going to have to get inspected. So tell us why, why we started this program in the first place with the inspections. So Terry, back in 2007, Lake Mead was the first body of water you know, kind of out west that became positive for quagga mussels. And so all these western states ramped up and created these invasive species programs to protect their waters from these harmful invasives. So 
you know, these muscles cause a lot of money worth of damage to infrastructure or, you know, personal watercraft or, you know, marinas. So we're doing our best to protect Colorado's waters from these muscles getting into the body of water. You know, if those were to get in there, they could be very costly, um, you know, potential of losing the recreation or um, having to pay higher energy bills because the mussels are attaching to dams and having to be cleaned off um, of, of dams that produce electricity. So that's what we're trying to keep out of our waters. And there's a lot of reason to um, worry about that. You know, in Colorado, we have a lot of people who recreate outdoors and we have a limited amount of surface water and it takes a long time to bring more online. And you're right about losing recreation waters. California has closed uh, several waters to recreation totally because they're afraid of the mussels. And we have to remember in Colorado that the water isn't owned by Colorado State Parks or typically even by any government entity. It's it's usually owned by a water provider who's managing a reservoir for the water first, the recreation second. And if they fear their costs will go up or that it could damage their reservoir, there is a legitimate fear of losing water, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. And that's, that's a good point. Uh, you know, these a lot of these reservoirs I hear are owned by different entities and, you know, uh, irrigation districts and such. And, you know, we have to remember that boating is a privilege, you know, it's not a right. So if somebody um, didn't want to get their boat inspected and cleaned, you know, they, they could potentially um, tip the scales for that recreation to be taken away. So it, it's always good to just make sure your boat's clean, drained and dry. And that way we are limiting the the vector of transport on these invasive species. Now, we've got more people boating than ever. I mean, during COVID, people turned to the outdoors. Boat sales were up. I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of new boaters out this year. And along with that, in the states surrounding Colorado, we're seeing an increase in infestation of the mussels. How is that reflected in the numbers of what the inspections are showing? You know, last year was a record year for us as far as actual muscle fouled interceptions. Um, every year it seems to go up and every year is a record year, but you know, in 2020 we had a total of 100 muscle fouled watercraft. In 2021, we nearly doubled that at 181 muscle fouled watercraft. And like you said, the reason for that is, you know, more bodies of water to our east um, or to our west are becoming positive for zebra or quagga mussels. So last year, uh, in particular, the majority of our mussel boats were coming back from Lake Powell. Lake Powell is absolutely gorgeous, um, but unfortunately they do have a quagga mussel infestation. You know, it's only a five, six hour drive from the front range to get out to Lake Powell. And, and um, a lot of people go out there and recreate. And then when they came uh, come back, they don't realize that they have mussels you know, inside their uh, boat or maybe just shells that have stuck to their sandals or the life jacket or something just because there's so many dead mussels floating around out there that they just hydrostatically attach to a life jacket and then they hop in the boat and it falls off and then they show up to an inspection station and our uh, very diligent inspectors find those. Yeah, now... It, the, the inspection process, if you if you haven't if you've been out of state 
or if you haven't had your boat on the water and you've cut the seal off that you can get when you leave the water, it takes a few minutes, but it's not, it's not terrible, but what, but it, it's so necessary. But once you get that first inspection, if you don't really leave the state and you get that seal and that receipt on, it's really a painless process, isn't it? Absolutely. And that, that's the beauty of the, the seal and the receipt system is, you know, we issue a receipt either being blue or white and we put a seal on the boat with a seven digit serial number and then you know these boaters can move around the state and what that does is it lets the inspectors know that it's that boat's been inspected so it's just a proof of prior inspection from one of our locations here in Colorado and it makes everything a lot quicker. You know, those white receipts mean you are coming from a negative prevention water. So that means it's a clean body of water. And, you know, that, that receipt is essentially a golden ticket to, you know, get into any lake uh, that has inspections in Colorado that allows motorboating. And we'll see inspections at almost every uh, body of water in Colorado, folks. And uh, ours, a lot of times, will be limited. Um, there's a couple things I want to get to real quickly. Um, first is a pilot program that's been launched today, uh, this year. Tell us about that. Okay. Yep. So House Bill 21-1226 passed last year, and this is something we're very excited about. Um, what this does is actually allows us to do a pilot program in the uh, 2022 and 2023 field seasons. And so... What we're going to do is have select dates throughout this year, so we actually have three dates picked out, that we will be setting up a roadside inspection uh, or pilot test out in the western part of the state. So this is going to be out by Loma and Fruta out west of Grand Junction. And so it's going to be on I-70, so essentially boats coming in from Utah, you know, they are required to stop at this watercraft inspection station that we'll have at the port of entry out there. Um, if they pass that, you know, if they're out in that area and they're on I-70, they must stop. So they're going to have to stop and be inspected. And so we're going to do that three separate days during the year. So the first one is actually coming up in May. So that's going to be May 15th. So for people traveling out of state and heading out west to go boating that weekend, if they are going to be passing the port of entry heading eastbound, then that they are going to have to stop and um, let us take a look at the watercraft. And we don't have time to get into details, but the hope is to refine a process that just makes it easier and easier to get on the waters with and more convenient. Isn't that right? Absolutely, and that's that's exactly it. It's just you know kind of relieving some of the pressure off of our boat ramps from all of these Lake Powell boats um, that potentially have muscles showing up into the boat ramps. Now, we only got about a minute or two left, but I know there's another subject you want to talk about. There's other invasive species, and I guess the main one is snails and some pathogens, and those are usually spread by waders and rivers and kayakers and things. Give us a few comments on those. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've really been trying to bring our focus back to other user groups um, other than just boaters, and so there are other invasive species out there that are, you know, moved around from, like like you said, wading gear and um, wading boots, things like that. So what we're trying to do is get the message out there to make sure you clean your gear after you're done using that. Um, 
the Bureau of Land Management, uh, Management gave us a wonderful grant last year to design and build some wader and gear cleaning stations. And so we have plenty of those built. And so if you have a fishing club or a whitewater club uh, or organization or even a favorite fishing hole that you would like to see one of these gear cleaning stations at, um, please, you know, look me up and I'm on our website at uh, the Invasive Species uh, Program's website. And so look me up and I will get you set up to sponsor one of these things. That sounds great. We are out of time, Travis, but we'll make sure we get you on again because I'd like to talk more about the cleaning stations, too. So you get out and enjoy the weekend, okay? Thank you very much, Terry. You as well. You bet. That's Travis Beam from Parks and Wildlife. And we will do more on those cleaning stations. What a great idea to get them right out there where you can clean your waders, clean your boots, get any pathogens, any any invasive species off of them. We're going to take a time out when we come back. And we're going to talk some more boating as we talk boating safety with Jim Hawkins on Terry Wicksham Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. Joining us, our good friend from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Jim Hawkins. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm looking out the window. It's going to be in the mid to high 60s on my patio today, and uh, I'm doing pretty good, and it's time to get the boat out, and I think a lot of other people are thinking that. We uh, we talked to... Uh, we talked to Travis Beam just a few minutes ago about the invasive species and the inspections. Everybody's getting used to showing up at the the boat landings now and know that they either have to have the seal on or go through an inspection. But there's a lot more to think about, especially early in the season when you're first getting on the water, isn't there? There is. I mean, everybody's super excited. You know, April 1st is coming around, you know, a couple boat ramps at some of our busy parks and wildlife uh, parks have opened up. So people are like, let's get out. It's 68 degrees. Let's go have some fun and let's catch some fish, some walleye or whatever. So, yeah, but it starts before you even get to the boat ramp. Uh, the biggest thing is, you know, those boats have been sitting probably for six months or a little longer, depending on where you live in the state. Um, but, yeah, you want to make sure that your batteries are charged. Hopefully they've been on a trickle charger for the last couple months, just making sure that they are charged and ready to go. The other thing you want to do is just make sure that you have good fuel in your boat, make sure that the boat hasn't been sitting for a couple of years or you didn't put winterizing uh, fluid in there, just making sure that the gas is ready to go. And the other thing, too, is before you even leave your garage, you want to make sure that you have all your required boating safety equipment so when you do get to the boat ramp, you don't have to turn around or make a quick run to Walmart to pick that stuff up. So um, that, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, all the things you're talking about, um, for, for years and years I did outdoor television, and my sponsor would supply me in a new boat every year. And we'd re-rig the boat at the beginning of the year, so obviously we put all the stuff in and it was all brand new. After I quit doing TV and I've kept my boat for a few years now, and I preach all the things you talk about, after all that preaching, I have screwed up every one of these things at one time or another in the beginning of the year, and I know better. That's You just really got to think about it. The one thing about the batteries, check the water in your batteries. And if you can, get them checked for how long they hold a charge, because... Uh, you go out thinking you've got a good battery. And one of the things you talked about was checking the fuel. 
Another thing I do, I know you're going to talk about when you get to the lake, start the boat on the trailer, but I try to start the boat at home, put a pair of muffs on it, run the hose through it. I don't know how many times I've seen boats go to the landing, somebody dumps the boat in the lake, and then they can't start it. Yep, we've seen that a lot, especially, you know, we call it the first two weeks of getting all the mothballs out of the engine. Um, You know, but even before, you know, you leave your garage, making sure that you have that, uh, all the required safety equipment as well. Um, you know, I want to talk about, we had a great conversation earlier about life jackets and specifically inflatable life jackets. You know, those are becoming super popular. Uh, they're super comfortable and uh, easy to wear. But there's a lot of people out there that uh, don't realize that you actually have to do like an annual inspection of these life jackets uh, just to make sure that they're serviceable and ready to go. Um, to do that, uh, typically what you'll do is, there's usually a visual screen or something that you can look in uh, that will be either red, that means it's not ready to go, or green, that it's ready to go. Also, there's kind of like a serviceable life window. There should be like expirations written on the cylinder uh, saying when uh, that expires, and that means that it has to be replaced. Um, and you can do that, but just make sure that you're doing it to uh, the manufacturer's specs, uh, looking at YouTube, making sure that you read the owner's manual. And the other thing that you want to do is just make sure that you inflate that life jacket uh, through the oral inflator and just blow that up as, as best as you can. Let it sit for 24 hours. You know, sometimes uh, the sun, the UV rays, uh, sometimes wreak havoc on our life jackets. So we want to just make sure that that life jacket is durable. It's holding that air that it needs to. And then once uh, you have it inflated for 24 hours, deflate it, pack it up, and it's ready for the year. Uh, the other thing that I want to touch on uh, really quickly is uh, a fire extinguisher. So the U.S. Coast Guard just came out with a new regulation. Um, it is actually taking effect April 20th of this year. And uh, what that regulation is, is any non-rechargeable fire extinguisher that is 12 years or older has to be replaced. It's considered expired. Um, if, so that's something if you go to Walmart, Target, whatever, grab a fire extinguisher, make sure that's U- U.S. Coast Guard approved, and it's at least a Type B fire extinguisher, and check the year. The year should be on the bottom of the bottle, uh, and it should be stamped like 2022, 2013, or something like that. So the other thing, too, is just make sure you have your sound-producing devices, uh, type for throwable, check your nav lights, anchor, make sure your boat and trailer are registered. That's super important. And then also we really like to talk about make sure that your kids are in life jackets. Any kids that are 12 or under are required to wear life jackets at all times while they're in a boat. And, you know, it's a great point. With the life jackets have become, we talked about the inflatables. There's other types of vests that aren't the inflatables that are extremely comfortable now. It's really not encumbersome or cumbersome rather to wear a flotation device when you're on the water and uh especially in the early season when the water's cold like this jim yeah exactly so you know we're all excited um about getting to the boat ramp um and the water is cold but the other thing that we have to think about is once we get to that boat ramp to launch um we need all i all i would do is recommend that you keep your boat on the trailer um, back it on the water, leave it on the trailer, don't connect, disconnect it, leave it on the trailer, start it, let it run, let it idle for a couple minutes just to work all the bugs out and make sure that it works before you uh, launch your boat. 
Um, if you have an inboard outboard engine, um, before you even start it, make sure that you're running that ventilation system for a minimum of at least four minutes, then start your boat. Um, and then always put your life jacket on. And then you brought up uh, cold water immersion. Uh, that's the biggest thing, especially, you know, April. It's beautiful. It's 70 degrees, but the water temperature, depending where you're at, can be 35 degrees to, you know, 40 degrees. So what we like to remind all of our uh, recreationists when they go out on the water is kind of this one ten one rule. And uh, unfortunately, if you do get, if you fall out of your boat, uh, you have about one minute to get your breathing under control. You know, you're going to have a large gasp because your body's not used to that cold water. And then you have about 10 minutes to get out of the water until you start losing functions of your hands or limbs uh, due to hypothermia. And then you have about one hour to get rescued before uh, severe hypothermia uh, kicks in. The one thing that I'll tell you is, you know, don't swim to shore. Uh, that's probably the worst thing that you can do, especially in really heavy gear. You know, we're dressed to be uh, cold weather, especially in the mornings. And if you land up uh, getting thrown in the water, that w- that clothing really weighs you down. So stay in your boat. Stay with your boat. It's easier to find you if we have to do a rescue. Make sure you're wearing your life jacket. That is the biggest thing. And just make sure maybe you have a whistle uh, tied to your life jacket so you can blow on that when other boats are passing by. That's all really great information. The last thing I want to mention, we've seen with COVID, we saw a prolification of paddle sports, whether it was paddle boards, kayaks, canoes, and we own kayaks, Karen and I. She would love paddle boarding. So we're not against those, but it's really dangerous in the middle of the lake right now, especially on those if you're not wearing a life jacket, because you probably, if you fall off and you're not tethered, even if you have one, attached to the board you're just not getting back to that board yeah we're you know we most of us uh in colorado are aware of our uh springtime where we have a lot of winds that come through it doesn't matter if it's a morning midday or afternoon and we also get some of those thunderstorms later in the summer uh but the biggest thing is people are like hey i already have my life jackets on my paddleboard but what we have been seeing in a lot of our rescues is the person falls off because of the waves and what happens is the wind lands up pushing that board away from them, uh, and they get exhausted. They can't get to their life jacket. And, you know, with the new technology, with new life jackets, there's really no reason not to be wearing a life jacket on any of your paddle uh, crafts, such as your paddle boards, canoes, or kayaks. Uh, the other thing, too, is just make sure that you have a sound-producing device. And the other thing, too, which would be really helpful for us, is just make sure you have your name address and phone number written on your board somewhere so uh if something does happen we're able to call you and hopefully reunite you with your board if it blows away all right my friend we are out of time but we'll need to spend more time on this as we get into it it's something we could talk about at at for length because of the we want people to get out we just want them to be safe but thank you for joining us jim terry thank you it's uh, always great to visit with you All right, Jim Hawkins from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Austin Parr is going to join with some fishing information on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a teardrop in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. 
You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. That music is from Wickstrom and Dobrith's recent released EP. Go to your favorite streaming service and check out Wickstrom and Dobrith. We'd appreciate it. But let's us go to the phones right now because we're running a little behind and I want to get in plenty of time with Mr. Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, first thing I want to do, Austin, is thank you for helping us in the ISE show to get a bunch of kids outfitted with fishing tackle. I'll tell you what, is anything better than a smile on their face when they walk away with that new fishing rod from Eagle Claw? Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I mean, those kids getting out there and getting on the water this spring with their new piece of equipment is exactly what we're looking to do. And um, getting as many kids involved in this is is what I'm always, uh, that's always the end goal. Well, you are always a big help. You help us distribute that to the kids, and uh, thank you so much for your participation. By the way, <clears throat> uh, hopefully those kids will be getting out in the near future because right now we've got rivers, we've got boat ramps open, and we've got shore fishing from lakes and ponds. There's just a ton of opportunity right now, isn't there? Certainly, and a lot of people focus on these boat ramps being open, myself included, but having these other opportunities right now truly are some of the best times of year to be a shore angler in Colorado. So the, the evening walleye bite is still going to be going strong right now, but then getting up to the mountains and fishing on some of these rivers that are starting to crack loose is another option that is truly world-class this time of year. Now, when you approach the rivers, do you approach them with, we talk a lot about fly fishing on this show on the rivers, but you can both fly fish them and conventional fish them. Which do you prefer? You know, I, I depending upon the cert, certain day, it could be either or. So some of these bodies of water, like the Colorado or the Arkansas or the Roaring Fork, are generally larger when it comes to Colorado standards. And if I'm not dealing with the hatch that's coming off on that given day, a lot of times I'll go and throw the conventional gear. So a small jig, but then also little jerk baits like an HD trout or a Berkeley hitch stick can be very effective. And then in the smaller riffly areas, a spinner like a Panther Martin or a rooster tail or even a Johnson minnow spin can all be very worthwhile. Now, there's certain times, especially when I'm having a hatch come off these rivers, where whether it be a midge hatch or a small betis hatch this time of year, where I'll definitely switch up to the fly rod. I'll have a small dry up on top, maybe a little parachute blue winged olive. I love the extended bodies. And then I'll trail a small uh, RS2 or various other mayfly mergers right in the surface film. And that could be deadly effective. Now, the other time I'll pick up a fly rod over a spinning rod in the rivers this time of year is if I'm dealing with a lot of rainbows or cutthroats. They're going to be still in pure spawning mode at the moment, maybe even a little early in some areas. And if there's a lot of rainbows in the water, a lot of those eggs will certainly trigger bites and nymphing egg flies uh, below some of those reds. I never like to fish the fish that are on the reds themselves up there spawning actively. But in the deeper holes behind them, an egg fly can be deadly this time of year. Any rivers in particular you've heard that are fishing well? The Eagle and the Colorado have both been doing quite well and are generally ice-free. But the Arkansas really has been shining more than anything else. Uh, that bite has been fantastic. Uh, from about the Buena Vista point down, uh, up top has retained a little bit of ice up toward Leadville, but that will be receding here over the next week or so. But that lower section has remained generally ice-free, below where the Twin Lakes outlet drops in. 
and uh, the fishing has been spectacular. Uh, not a lot of big, big browns in that section, but a ton of quality fish that are in that 14 to 19 inch range. And those uh, will be very happy to eat a spinner or a jerk bait this time of year. But then those hatches that are going to be coming off here soon uh, with the betas and then the caddis here in the next month will both provide great dry fly opportunities. Well, you know, and that leads us to there's another opportunity from there's a lot of shore opportunities and there's small ponds, there's the big lakes, there's the trout, there's bass, walleye. What about, you know, the walleye spawn finished up early this year, so people should be able to fish the dams at Chatfield and Cherry Creek from shore. Yeah, so just because Parks Wildlife completed their netting operation does not mean that these fish are going to stop spawning for the next couple of weeks. We still, I would say, have at least a week and a half of of decent spawn time. And the low light periods, particularly in the evening and early portions of the night, are the best times to hit those fish, whether it be from a boat or from the shore. Now, I'm fishing a lot of times all the way up very shallow, even within a foot uh, of the dam. Those those ones of male walleye will get very shallow. And then jerk baits like a rapala shadow wrap have quickly turned into some of my favorites over the last couple of years. But X-wraps, as well as some of the new Berkeley Stunna baits, have been all productive. Now, uh, a lot of times people, in my opinion, fish those a bit too fast. So I'll hit them with a single or a double pop, a little bit lighter, with a fairly extensive pause, and then really only reeling that bait on slack line. All the movement will be off the tip of my rod, and the majority of those fish will then eat it on that pause. Now, this is this time of year is a good time to really have an opportunity at a very large fish as well. And those big fish, although Parks and Wildlife has finished the spawning operations, we always recommend really anything above that 22, 23-inch range to go back, particularly when you're dealing with a very large walleye and let some of these other folks enjoy it. We're looking to keep some fish and smaller males in that uh, 18, 19, 20-inch range are going to be a better table fare anyways. Now, we only have a couple minutes less, less and I apologize. We got kind of short this one, but another opportunity that's coming right now that's one of my favorites, and that's the small ponds. Definitely. Uh, we'll have great opportunities. The small ponds warm up faster than the bigger bodies of water. And although, in general, they're colder than what I would like to see for a very productive largemouth bite, uh, jerkbaits and then lipless crankbaits like a rip and wrap work very well this time of year on a yo-yo presentation down deep. But then the shallows and fishing the jerkbait the same way I just described for the walleyes will produce some great largemouth activity. And you can work and, and pond hop on some of these nicer days and really have some great success. You're not dealing with a huge numbers game, but the size of fish can be pretty impressive in some of these smaller ponds, particularly when we're dealing with largemouth. Yeah, I I could tell you that, and bass fishing is how I started in fishing many, many years ago, or at least started in professional fishing. And I fish a lot of these small ponds in the spring because they warm up so quickly. And I would say out of my 50 largest bass in Colorado, that probably 30 came out of ponds that were stocked at parks and things. It's just incredible the size bass you can get out of some of these. And one last thing we'll take a minute for, and that's the fact that a lot of these small ponds and a lot of our lakes are getting heavily stocked with trout right now, and that's just a tremendous shore fishing opportunity. Yeah, you can walk around with a small spinner or spoon and have great success. And then also your, your bait opportunities while allowed can be great. And then that offers a really good thing to catch and keep a few fish. Those stalker fish are, aren't usually going to make it through the year in the smaller bodies of water. So keeping some of those is great. But then as we mentioned with those largemouth, those guys really it's best to let some of those largemouth go. They don't get stocked nearly as heavily as the trout do. And particularly those larger fish are very important to continue the population going in those bodies of water.
Austin, we are out of time, but next time we'll make sure we donate more time to you because I love talking fishing with you. But if people want to come by and see you, where do they find you? I'm six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe at Discount Fishing Tackle, and I certainly appreciate you always having me on, Terry. All right. Thank you, Austin, and thanks again for helping the kids. Austin Parr, what a tremendous... You bet. Austin Parr, just a great, great resource to the show. Speaking of great resources to the show... We're going to take a time out and we come back and one of our favorite contributors on all topics will join us. And that's Mr. Nate Zelinsky from Tightline Outdoors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan.